going on everybody isaac mashman here welcome back to another episode of chase the vision with isaac mashman the show that is all about helping you become a more capable individual through sharing personal development my experiences and now the experiences and the knowledge of other people and today i have a really really awesome guest on matt divine um now i don't really know how to make an introduction for this guy because I mean, he is the lead singer of Kill Hannah. He launched that band way back before I was even born, I think. And then from there, he just has had an amazing career. He's done a lot of different things, published books, um, traveled the world uh, on tour. And then aside from that, he's the head of music partnerships at Cameo. Uh, you know, that awesome app where you basically pay celebrities, get shout outs, allows you to really connect with them one-on-one -on -one and reached out to him. I was like, Matt, be an honor to have you on the show, share your experiences, talk about Cameo, talk about, you know, some of the early, you know, days. And here he is, Matt, what's going on, man? What's up, brother? Love that intro. I've been, I've been hosting a few uh, regular clubhouse rooms and panels. I, I, I just slaughter intros. I have like <laughs> I 10, 10 talking points and, and remember two of them, fumble through it and kind of force them to, to fill in some of the gaps. And in, in this case, I think you pretty much, I think you pretty much nailed it. All right. Podcast done. See you later. No, it's good. All right, man. Well, Hey, um, I mean, there's no firm, I guess you could say way for us to do this. Let's just have a conversation, but man, I would love for you to introduce yourself um, and, and really start from the beginning when I was doing a little bit of research and kind of, kind of finding out more about Matt Devine, I didn't see a lot about like your background when it comes to the family you were raised in and anything like that. And um, for me personally, and from what I've seen a lot of uh, people's success and the way that they grow up, grow up, the way that they turn out and the, the paths that they pursue is influenced based off of the parents and the household that they were born in. So how is your childhood coming up? Cool. Yeah. And I, I'd say for any of your listeners who is curious, I mean, if you want real entertainment, it might be tougher to find these days. But yeah, try, try to find a Kill Hannah interview from me in my late 20s. It's, it's pure gold. And I can only kind of laugh about it third person from my perspective now because i'm like okay i feel like a like i've completely reinvented myself since that time and since those two decades so um i can kind of re-appreciate re it myself but um but yeah i would say um and actually hang on a second i'm gonna i don't know how to turn off this i have it on do not disturb why did it still make uh oh i have faith in you cool we got this we got there this. we go you know, tech company and uh you know major label artists i think we can i think we should between the two of us here and, and a thriving podcast producer and host I, I think we can handle muting uh text messages <laughs> finger fingers crossed fingers crossed <laughs> but but yeah um and and by the way i'm interested in the same stuff you know I, the, the more the more i kind of dig into nature nurture and just how people are who they are and mm -hmm. um, where they continue to grow or, or not grow and um just the general journeys that people find themselves on I, the, the more i observe and the more i've experienced the more curious i get about this exact topic so um i uh when, i mean when it comes to me yeah, i was i was i was raised in uh norwalk in westport connecticut actually and it was um yeah at a really 
privileged upbringing. I was uh, really tight with my family. Dad worked in New York City. Um, and uh, yeah, spent, mm-hmm. spent childhood in Connecticut, moved, moved around a little bit, moved to a suburb of New York City called Nyack on the Hudson River and, um, and then from there to Chicago. And um, yeah, my parents eventually moved back. They didn't like the Midwest as much. They're in New Hampshire now. So my entire, virtually my entire extended family is all uh, New England, but I stayed, oh, I stayed in Chicago, finished up high school there at Lake Forest High School, um, which is funny enough because I now have a couple of coworkers that also graduated from LFHS and we were, laughing about some of the notable peeps that came from like Vince Vaughn and <laughs> whoever else who was um, like Mr. T and John Hughes and who, who were the big names in Lake Forest um, that we were bonding over. But yeah, from there, so I went to the School of the Art Institute in Chicago and pretty much formed the band Kilhanna in Chicago, which was very, very difficult and and, mm-hmm. and brutal and, and thankless and and it's a sort of you know what we had to do in the early days of Kilhanna to cut through the noise and I would never do again and and I you know I think about it a lot because it was totally insane to do what we did it was I mean you're looking at starting a band um and the goal was to sign to a major label that was the goal from the beginning and I thought what you know when I really connected with writing with songwriting and with producing and forming the band and when I, I realized that it was 10 years pretty much uh from the day that I committed heart and soul to I want to be a rock star that's it like it's the only thing that that really gets me off this way it's it's the mm-hmm. perfect forum for all my various ADD interests from art school I get to design a logo I get to work on t-shirts I get to you know I get to sing about, you know, the sort of dramatic themes of my own favorite bands and kind of right. just try to come close to contributing something to the conversation of music that would resonate with other people the way Jane's Addiction and Smashing Pumpkins and The Cure and The Smiths and all those artists resonate with me and, and my friends. So interestingly also this is obviously ancient history so this is pre-internet so a band trying to break out of chicago in the 90s i mean it was just hell it was i don't i don't know how masochistic we must have been but you're talking about also a scene that had did not suffer the pretension and and it was you know the the artists out of chicago that were first of all there was no music industry in chicago chicago it was about you know italian beef restaurants and and uh baseball franchises and the rest but there were not a single major label had an office in chicago um it was like absolutely it was impossible to get any a r from the coast to fly in to see a show um there's some the the artists that were beloved and supported by the community in the early in those days were for the most part, real super cred, these like seminal indie artists that were, uh, you know, they kind of defined what, what later was kind of like the whole pitchfork scene, you know? And, mm. and we, even though I, you know, had a ton of overlap socially with that scene and I even 
interned at Brad Wood's studio and worked on a, uh, some of those like really amazing records. Uh, well, I didn't work on them. I vacuumed. I vacuumed in the studio. With you got a part of the process. You made sure the studio looked great for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, yeah, they let me tinker with the tape and stuff. But right. um, no, I was in proximity to some pretty important. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but but no, there, it was really it was a our band was very polarizing. Um, we made a stance early on that we wanted to have an image that was kind of larger than life. And my heroes were all rock stars that were, you know, were essentially aliens that came from another, you know, just another solar system. So, right. And that's who I idolize. And that's what I want. I want to create that distinction between who's on stage and who isn't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was, that was super taboo to do in Chicago. So that's just a little paint, a little richer of a picture to describe just, what what an uphill impossible a battle we had ahead of us which was okay so you want to do something kind of glitzy and glammy and cool and catchy and and create a scene um emo did not exist nobody that word was not around um mm -hmm. but we were so you know we started we we're flat ironing our hair and we we're wearing saw the hair yeah 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 i've yeah. seen some pictures <laughs> but that's, i just love the cure so we were i mean we were more yeah we we're, we're going for the kind of Susie and the banshees and depeche mode and cure stuff but it it, it did it took root it took a long time it took it took a long time playing horrible shows and you know schlepping your amps up a frozen staircase in an alleyway mm. to get to a practice space to pay 30 bucks an hour just to just to sound like garbage and you know to have a band member leave and you know we had a lot of a lot of rotation of uh band members in, in those early years until it, it got solid our songs started getting a little better we started getting a little more professional when we were headlining by the time you know i started you know metro at that time the chicago metro is is like the the temple to cool music in, in chicago and mm -hmm. i was just and, i mean that's where we saw smashing pumpkins and everyone else and when we wanted to you know we set that as a as a real north star for us like one day we're going to headline the metro and it started by you know they're giving us monday afternoon slots for you know two dollar shows but you've got to bring a hundred people to pay or you'll never be asked mm. back and so we just became promotion machines we just became like street team hustlers like we didn't even know what a street team was we just knew that we're collecting email addresses one at a time handwritten uh you know wow. we had all the relationships with all the record stores in town where you know we'd ask them to hang up our posters and our flyers and we'd go out of pocket to print flyers and uh, we made cds that we you know we accumulated ourselves like you're talking about like waiting in the snow on on a random corner in chicago to talk to a stranger to beg give them a flyer to come to your show go through your phone book one by one and call every single person that you know and beg them to come usually it would just be my sister and whoever she could drag from work <laughs> but um, you know that that dedication right there actually paid off in the end because i mean not to spend too much time talking about kill hannah because obviously that was you know, 20 years ago, I mean, the band disbanded, you guys broke up in 2015 and kind of said like, hey, this is the last show. It's on to, you know, our separate pathways, which I do, you know, potentially want to talk about in a couple of minutes. But you guys did have some massive success, you know, from the numbers that I was reading in my research, 200,000 album sales combined. You guys had a tour in Europe. You guys went, you know, all around, toured in Chicago, you know, performed there, obviously. And, you know, right now, 
Killhan is still averaging like 40,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, which is more than a lot of other artists. And that's really, really cool. <laughs> There's one moment that I do want to talk about is uh, the tour bus caught on fire in Switzerland. Yeah. What, what was that? Yeah. So, so the sort of happy ending to that, to that long drawn out, and I apologize, uh, answer to the last question is that we ultimately did get to a point where we were, you know, mm -hmm. we were known in Chicago, loved or hated, we were known. And, and we were selling out metro every couple months uh at full ticket price to kids who are dressed like us screaming every word and it was it was a beautiful time it was insanely frustrating to to play a sold out show and then you know with your gear stick i didn't even have a car my bass player had a car this keyboard is sticking out of the window amps you know um multiple trips in this in a honda civic just to get the gear to and from the show <laughs> And, yeah. you know, in the snow yeah. we're like you know people laughing at us but but we ultimately did uh mercifully we signed with atlantic records in in 2003 and that yeah that was a, a major major milestone and accomplishment and um yeah and that led to essentially the next 10 years of my life which was being on the road putting out records and going through album cycles a uh, couple with atlantic roadrunner um uh motown and yeah and uh, by the way, to your point about all of that being there being a purpose to that that struggle, like for real, we, and it'll tie back into your question about the fire. Nothing by the time we signed our deal, we had been through so much. Like we we lost a drummer, died. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many how many close calls with uh you know heartbreaks of, of deal offers that were on the table mm. that were flown to la last second to go perform from the city you know the president yeah. of Columbia, whatever the hell um every showcase every promise of every every music convention that we were part of every single time you know um and to the cool thing about that though is that the band members who stuck it out with me were were like brothers we still are and uh we only think uh, we have zero we just trained ourselves to not spend a second of time indulging in like the the misfortune like we just go into problem solving we're just problem mm. solving, problem solving, problem solving. so we we're on tour in in europe and it was a great tour we we're headlining there's a band called my passion that were on the tour bus with us and we were um is rad and we we we're coming from um we're in a double double decker bus with like 16 people sleeping on it we had a couple of our girlfriends that were in, <laughs> out on the road which is hilarious because this is their only tour experience but but we were uh yeah we we're coming from italy up through the italian alps on the way to uh i think on the way to paris and i just wake up it's 8 30 in the morning everyone get out of the bus get out of the bus and we get out you know, in whatever we're wearing, no shoes, no laptops, no anything, get out. And we look back and the entire bus is on fire. And, um, and we, all we could do is pretty much stand there on the side of the highway with like these and, and just watch the fire grow until, you know, it, it pretty much burned the bus down to the frame. And, um, and we didn't have any, it's funny because we have some footage of that day and, and there's just no reactions. And even the girlfriends were like, we, we, we were taking pictures like how could you possibly take a picture i'm like this is this isn't even is barely remarkable for the for the shit that we've had to suffer through you know like right 
at least we're in, at least it's nice. I mean, we end up staying in this, uh, but again, problem solving. We're like, okay, who has passports? Who needs new passports? Who needs to go to the, to the consulate? Who needs to take a train and desert? Who's mm-hmm, gonna, mm-hmm. who's gonna, who's gonna book us a hotel in this little, whatever weird little snowboarding town in the, the mountain that we're in right now. But uh, yeah, silver lining kicked it for a couple of days. I think we only missed one show and we ended up just drinking every drop of alcohol in this tiny bar in this tiny town. And, uh, and also this, this time town only had one store that sold shoes. So every one of us were wearing the same like size 12 (laughs) Adidas track shoes that were gray. Uh, that's really, and we, yeah, we just ate spaghetti and and drank for like two days straight. And then, yeah, I mean, at least you were in France, you know what I'm saying? Like that's not a bad country to be trapped in. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was charming. And, and, and you know, if I, if I, ever hear myself complaining about or you know back then about things that are just you're so lucky you know it's just such like major label band problems i just it's so easy for me to check back in with that dude that would have murdered his parents to get a major label deal you know so i mean in in those days also while we were playing all those shows and trying to get a foothold and 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 cut through the noise we're also just like i can't I can't tell you how possessed I was with the idea. Like every time I saw a shooting star, I'm like, we need to sign to a major label. Every time I, I pass a fountain, throw a penny in, I want to be on a major label. Every time I pass a church, light a candle, I got to be on a major label. So um, interesting takeaways there. And then really kind of pretty clear parallels between that whole, just that crusade we were on back then. And, and then what, what's gone on with cameo in the last few years since I came right. out. It's pretty interesting. You know, and, and what you're describing is a large part why I didn't decide to pursue the music industry because I saw that there was like literally only one way that you could ever make it. And that's going all in sacrificing. And then even then at the end of the day, when it comes to a label perspective, there's no way for the artist to win and the label to win. Like it's either like one or the other. It's very rare to find that balance. Um, but the other side of things is that whole tour life probably was the best time of your life, you know, not knowing where you would sleep or it's the same equivalent of, you know, being an entrepreneur and a businessman and catching a flight out and not knowing where you're staying that night or what's happening. And that's like the best time. And, and that risk taking is what a lot of people can learn from because, you know, I, I've been talking to some people lately and they're just like, I'm afraid of taking the risk. I don't know. I, like I, I'm afraid. And I'm like, you just got to make the decision and jump and you just have to have to make up your mind. Um, now there's some, some definitely interesting things, you know, especially coming from how you use the word privileged family yet coming and becoming this like anti-hero, anti like culture thing uh, of setting a band that, you know, I mean, I, I was researching how the band was named and all that other stuff. And it's like, you're the complete opposite of how you were raised in that regard. But at the end of the day, um, I think that that you, you did what a lot of artists should learn from you and do. And that's you leverage that success and you leverage those experiences and that knowledge. And even though you decided to get out of music at the end of the day, you still use that to land a career and to land something that is that is relatively big head of partnerships or head of music partnerships at Cameo, which is valued at just recently a billion dollar company, which is huge. Um, so how did that process go? Like, I know that you you came out Kill Hannah Disband in 2015 and you did your solo project in 2014 underneath the pseudonym of Wrongchild. And I didn't realize that you hit half a million monthly listeners on Spotify at one point, And you just kind of said that I'm, I'm done with this and took a step back. How did that, those yeah. couple of years go? I mean, it, it was, it was unpleasant to be honest. You know, there's uh, to your point, I mean, a couple of things, 
one, yeah, pr privilege is tricky because um, ultimately, I guess, I guess what I mean of it's really what I mean there is like I, I had a super supportive family. And so mm -hmm. even though they didn't have um, a single, even like tangential uh, favor they could pull in the music industry, like, you know, my dad was in textbook publishing, you know, my mom, my mom taught at, at my tiny little Catholic school. So, um, you know, on the spectrum, I'd say like pretty humble and, and pretty like rural you know but but uh but what they did give me was a sense that like they just had my back and i think mm, knowing okay. that they, they had my back i i didn't even know that what i was doing was taking a risk like when i was i'm when when i was 17 18 and i said i'm going all in it's 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 like it you're going to get a deal and have a career in music or you're going to die trying like i, I wasn't even I, that's not even hyperbole i was straight up I was like, I'll kill myself if it doesn't work. It's, you know, no big deal. Yeah. That's, that's what I felt. Um, and, and I was also, I just, I'd been reading Oscar Wilde and I've been reading like my heroes back then were all the most sort of melodramatic and, and romantic. And, and so, you know, I was always just hungry for anything that was remarkable and cool and, and maybe European or rare or, or hedonistic right. or, or whatever it was. And, and so it was, it was, uh, it was a little bit of a, I guess, a retaliation against, you know, I, I found Chicago and Illinois and the Midwest in general to be just so kind of sleepy and um, provincial. And, and, and I, I saw myself in New York. I was like, how am I not Chloe 70s best friend? That's, that was the thought that was going through my head in my twenties, you know? Like, wh why am I here? And, and the only, and I started to embrace Chicago and we started to turn around and say, okay, we're not stuck in Chicago. Like we're gonna, we're, we love Chicago. We fucking rep mm -hmm. Chicago. We are Chicago. Like it's cold, it's evil. It's, 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 it's poetic. It's, it's dramatic. You've got the, basically the lake, it's as big as an ocean and you got nonstop cloud cover and you're surrounded by alco alcoholics and drug addicts. And, um, you Came know, to embrace that. <laughs> yeah but um but yeah so so but that transition though oh so what i guess where i'm going with that is in order to succeed in an art i believe you you have to burn the boats you can't hedge your bets you can't have a backup plan and and so i think there are some people the only the reason why i think people wrestle with risk uh is a couple of things one they're probably smarter than i was um, I didn't know what the risk was. You know, I, when I say it was like success or death, my version of death was even kind of cool. It's like, all right, I'll either be on MTV or I imagine myself in whatever, Switzerland, you know, I don't know, fishing on an island or whatever. Or I don't that know. is, man, that is hilarious because I actually have a very similar approach. Like I, I've been to that point where I'm like, I'm either going all in with business or I'm just going to wind up a monk. Like I'm going to Taiwan right. or Vietnam and I'm just going to be a monk for the rest of my life. Like there's, uh, there's all in or all out. And um, that right there, it's, it's not just about arts, but it's about, I think anything in life to, to hit the big leagues to the degree that a lot of people aspire, say that they want to be at. Like it's, it is burn the, burn the boats. It is burn the ships. Totally, totally. And, I, and I'll tell you though, what that led to was a death of a different kind. So I, so so truly it was it was laser laser just just absolutely 
possessed and focused with with that goal for that period of time uh and then when i got it you know so you're talking about 10 years just to get to that point then you're at then you're at the dance now now it's a whole new mountain to climb now mm-hmm. now it's like okay cool we we made a splash in chicago are we gonna you know are we gonna resonate out there in the rest of the world can we really can we sustain this thing like all the other challenges that come into play all the stakes get higher um also you have guys in the, you know it's kind of an arms race between the success of the band and then the sort of individual journeys of the band members you know you, you have a guy mm-hmm. that's maybe 34 and maybe maybe he doesn't share the same psychotic vision that i do maybe for him a house in the burbs and a, and you know a simple life is is preferable so uh so we, you know it, it, it was all that but um where i was going with that is my mentality behind all that and it, it's great to learn later that i i i have been recognized for the hustle you know people saw it and they're like you know this this dude definitely believes in what he's talking about like yeah we're bad like i don't think i think they would say about me back then like that kid i don't think he has perspective but he certainly has no issues in the sort of like exaggerated uh sense of his own importance you know but yeah which was contagious in a good way but but it was also foundationally it was very youth youth oriented like i was very peter pan i I was um, you know of course just the the nature of music and entertainment itself is is youth driven and and i was you know we're competing against artists that are 18 22 years old who are writing songs um about themes that matter more to you know kind of coming of age themes and this and so I found myself now coming out, you know, going into my late thirties and forty, not feeling real anymore. That the, that okay, I can't just. I'm not going to put on tight jeans and eyeliner as a forty year old. I'm just not going to do it. And and it's also just in the business of it is ludicrous, absolutely mm. ludicrous. So so there's a point that my kind of final close the chapter moment was very clear actually i was i was standing where it was with ron child you know and that solo record was great you know i had a duet with gerard way from my chemical romance and, and uh some great videos and a really cool press push and it, it kind of you know it got out there but then you're looking at the cycle of an album and you're talking about touring and you know i, I just finally i think came to terms with the just the stark bleak reality of of how costly it is to tour what investment it is and you know i'm talking about i I could not possibly ask my bandmates to quit their bartending jobs where they're making a thousand dollars a night to go in the a van uh you know to travel yeah tour again to to places where there may not even be a big crowd and for what like to hopefully impress someone else who may take a chance and invest in a it's just I saw it and it was, it was the first time in my life that I felt like fail, not failing. I failed all the time, but where my dream was dashed, where finally I'm like, this dream is over. <laughs> like the runway, I'm out of runway and I didn't get there. You know, I got somewhere I got, I got, I was really proud of where we got. And I, and it's really one in a million, uh, 
what we achieved and to tour and to yeah pull up in other countries where people are wearing your shirts and dress like you and 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 you know you're cool that's um that in itself is, is a success but it was certainly sh it was short of of what the real dream was um so you know coming to terms with that at 40 is tough it's a long answer to your question but it's it's tough it's not pleasant you know mm -hmm. like you're you, and, so, and it's an ego death and it's so it's not it wasn't a death like i imagined it was it was it, but it was a death it was it was really a who the hell am i existential identity crisis now symbolic I'm, death yeah so to really, speak yeah and but with real real with actual symptoms though do you know what i mean like like suddenly it's you get anxiety suddenly you get um insomnia suddenly your body starts going to shit suddenly you you get brain fog you don't have your humor you don't have your wit you don't have or whatever you thought you did once have um but it's 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 a it's a collapse of everything and then you start seeing yourself not only not instead of seniors i always saw myself this, I, and i think this is good but i but i always saw myself as worthy of being in the room with anybody i always saw myself as like mm -hmm. an asset to a conversation so so i never shied from uh, you know, I was invited once to this dinner in a castle um, in, in Central Park with nothing but like heirs of the biggest fortunes in all of America. And I didn't think that I shouldn't be there. The truth is I was broke. The truth is I was like, I was in New York because I was, um, you know, the play I was in, the, the Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yeah. Had, had wrapped and I was just still in New York kind of writing blogs and kicking it. But I was like, of course I should be here. Of course I should be talking to Elon Musk. Of course I should be really, that was, that confidence was kind of divorced from the, the reality, you know? Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't really feel that anymore. So, so I saw myself instead as like the worst version of myself. Instead, my, mm. my whole um, self-confidence was, was gone. And, and my esteem, instead I saw myself as, holy shit, dude, you are now a middle-aged guy that was once in a band. That's all, that's it. And that's sad. And that's really unattractive. And, um, I, you know, spare people, spare people, uh, you know, having to talk to you. So I started like avoiding people. I started kind of living from a place of fear while I was figuring things out, you know, and it wasn't, I don't think it was outwardly obvious. Like I was still, you know, I spent, you know, I was still having sort of, it, conversations making plans still you know started uh managing artists i started just kind of feeling it, it just wasn't out. the same though no and i and, and the thing is i just didn't have the purpose so at least uh, the thing is that drove me and i think a lot of other people can relate is that without purpose you know it's just every, everything else kind of suffers so so when at least i knew in my heart I'm going to be on stage one day. I'm going to be a singer of this band. Nothing's going to stop me. I'll move mountains to make this happen. And uh, I was on my purpose 24-7. Now I was like, well, what am I going to do? Am I looking for, am I going to work at a label? Am I, gonna, I don't even know what the hell I'm supposed to do on earth anymore. Like, what, right. what am I bringing to the table? And uh, so, so that, that took a minute. Long answer to your question, it took a minute. You know, I, at first I, I felt... I felt phony. I was like, all right, I'm going to manage artists. I'm going to be an industry dude. 
but it, but it didn't feel like me. And I, until, you know, I started managing a couple artists and then I, I became that guy feeling as much pride in their success as in my own. And, you know, I, that, that cliche of the dude standing on the side of the stage with the arms folded, kind of nodding. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was me. And I was like, Oh, actually this feels good. I, I think this is where I belong. All right. And then that led then a little bit of confidence and you kind of claw your way out of the, out of the basement. And then your mojo comes back a little bit and then you have small wins and then all of, all of that let again, but, but it's another, it's just paying your dues, man. And, and the reason why it's so just so tricky is that, um, you know, you feeling right, I think rightly entitled to, to not have to climb another mountain from the bottom again, when you, when you've gotten to the top of, or at least closer to the top of one mountain and you know how just the blood, sweat and tears that it took to get there, it's, you feel like, all right, I, I deserve a lateral move. I don't think I should need to start at the bottom of, an, of the next yeah. mountain, but, but you really, you really do. And it's good for you to do it. And, and it's humbling. And, and it, all of that struggle informs everything that I do right now, just as all the early struggle of, of Kilhanna and scrapping it out in, in the winters of Chicago informed everything that we did not been. Well, I think based off of the way that you act, man, you've actually come to embrace it because I'll, I'll text you and you'll like text back within a couple of minutes normally. Like I imagine you're always doing something and that just mentality of never being too, you know, for example, if you own an office or a company, never being too big to take out the trash or to sweep the floor. You know, if you see a mess, you're going to clean it up. And so I think that that, that experience probably humbled you to a degree and, and just that can, that persistence, man, like this, this interview is going to lead to a documentary about your life in the future, because the more I get, I hear about your story though, it really is interesting because cameo, the direction that's going, you're a part of that machine. You're a part of that vehicle now, and you're still making moves with the company now that you're outside of the musical career. Now I do have to ask this question. Now this might be a little bit far out there, but do you ever think that you and the rest of the guys from kill Hannah will do a concert together again? Or is that chapter completely oh, probably. closed? Yeah, probably. I mean, okay. I mean, it's it's funny with the the burn the boats metaphor, but that was true. That's true in the startup culture too, obviously. And and you know, when I I had actually worked for a bit um, for a couple other startups that didn't go the distance, you know, and mm -hmm. which, which is common. And but but truly the the tempo of cameo things were growing so fast and everyone saw it for the rare, rare opportunity that it is. Um, mm -hmm. It was, it, it just did not allow for anything else. So there's, so the, there were, you cannot have a side hustle. I, you cannot mm -hmm. possibly pull off, you know, a, a real, you know, real career at cameo. And also in the back of your mind, trying to be managing other artists or trying to be thinking about putting out another record, you know, um, that said, we do, you know, so I'll never go on. A, I never want to go on a big tour again. I never want to go through it like a full traditional album cycle and all the rest, but I'll always be writing music and I'm always, uh, you know, I'm so close with the guys. Our, our chat has never slowed down. And That's we cool. Really like shoot little ideas to each other um so so i yeah of course i i believe i assume we'll play again at, at some point um no one wants to dedicate what what it would take to um to really revitalize it in a, in a way that matters 
um, and uh, that I think really has a shot to to really compete in the marketplace of, of mm-hmm. music. Um, but the cool thing is here, you know, that's exactly what we are. That's exactly what I'm fighting for at Cameo is, is to disrupt that industry, to give new artists, uh, tools to build their fan bases, uh, to sort of shorten that, maybe some, some of that suffering a little bit and to extend their, their runway so that, you know, it, it might take, I mean, the, the, the most tragic thing to me is the concept of other Matt Devines out there or, or whoever like reaching the end of their runway and saying, shit, mm-hmm. I'm broke. I guess I'll have to stop making music, you know? And, and I think that's a loss for the world, not just for that individual. So absolutely. That, and that's, that's really what energizes me here. Um, and, and thankfully it's cool to see that a lot of those concepts have, have materialized. So we, I have a, a lot of examples here where the money, um, that, that the artists are earning here are, is literally saving it's 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 saving their bands it's saving their marriages it's 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 doing good you know it's it's it, it's really gratifying and then you know to see the labels and the old school and the and the the agencies uh and that sort of old paradigm all kind of scrambling because they feel super threatened that here's a you know the we're kind of at the vanguard of of where things are going and, and we're, we're impacting change in, in big ways and shaking things up. And it's, it's, it's nice to be energetically, to be on the, on the side of the, the sort of Roman army that, that is growing and, you know, mm-hmm. than it is to be the sort of, um, you know, at, at a label whose entire, you know, who, by the way, missed the boat on every big, evolutionary step in in the music industry you know so this shouldn't be any different but it feels it feels good and I don't have a ton of sympathy for anyone in the industry who suddenly now is panicking after spending like 20 years getting paid six figures to do jack shit so exactly you know well I think um, that's interesting not, not to cut you off but to talk about that there's this concept called the halo effect and it's like a lot of times people base their assumption on an individual off of one personality trait or off of one thing. And there's, in order to be a celebrity, it, you know, there's a psychological effect that has to take place with a fan or a follower and another individual to where they view this person as like greater than thou or greater than themselves. And now I'm not here to dispute or say that that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I imagine you saw that on tour, man, being on stage and having 10,000 people shout your name or shout the band's name and singing along. And so with Cameo now though, and I imagine this is where the labels kind of get a little pissy and a little bit scared and concerned is these artists that would normally be completely out of touch with reality of their fans are now able to just make a quick shout out video and be like, hey, Jessica, you know, uh, your your boyfriend loves you, you know, something simple like that. And it's like now the labels don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, it's 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 both of those things. I, I think I think they could look, if, if I'm the head of a label and, and the writing's on the wall, I think there's a fair argument to be made around more so what is an, what is an artist or, or what is the distinction between an artist and a fan? How, how important is that, is that sort of divide? And um, are we, 
in embracing this new, you know, the new world of accessibility, um, is it coming at the cost of maybe something that's, you know, that we'll miss? I, I think that's an interesting conversation, but certainly financially, that's a really weak argument because um, these artists are making more money in a week on Cameo than they make in a year from, from royalties. Oh, really? Um, that's even, yeah. okay. Yeah, so, and and also, you know, if it if it's anyone, look, you've got you to touch your fans' hearts and, and you've got to garden that relationship and um, fans sense it when it's inauthentic. And so, yeah, if, if I think if some of the layers are are now kind of falling falling away and and there is a, a lot more accessibility well first of all in cameo there is there is still that um there is still that a couple stages of buffers between you know right um, uh, although we are rolling out now cameo calls which is incredible that's like magic that's like facetiming with with fans like two two minutes um increments but uh but where i was going with that is a lot of what becomes normal in music started a little bit odd. So, so I remember watching, um, we were on tour with 30 Seconds to Mars, the first time I ever saw a band charge for a meet and greet. And it was, mm. it was sketchy. It was, was like, how the hell, these guys, these poor kids just bought it. They bought a ticket, they bought, they bought a t-shirt. Now, you're making them wait in another line to pay again just to get a picture. It was like, it seems kind of, it seems greedy, you know, it seems, it seemed tacky. It seemed, you know, all the things that people say about right. Cameo or Airbnb or Uber at the time, you know, in, in those, in those early days before, before they became what they were. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And, and it's, and it's similar. So of course, what did meet meet and greets become but but really a uh, i i honestly i think bands make as much from meet and greets as they do from the guarantees of the shows these days so it's so it's become a major part of the business and just standard operating procedure whereas you know it wasn't that long ago where it would have been like describe it honestly like it was it seems silly even to say but good luck trying to convince your band to charge fans again to spend a minute with you it just it seemed ludicrous of, of course now you realize all of all of those hesitations that you had and and fears around it were were projection to your point like that fans of course a fan would be happy to support you to get a genuine authentic time and an interaction with you that matters you know of, of course like you think What's another, what's, what's 50 bucks to a kid that otherwise would be annoying the hell out of your manager and your tour manager right. and your wife and like leaving comments and DMs that would never be seen and sending emails that'll never be open. It's like 50 bucks, please. Like that's a service to the, to the fan. It really removes that anxiety for them. And then of course it's like incredible business for the artists. And so this, we're right now witnessing a really similar um, understanding and, and like adoption and zeitgeist culturally of, of cameo. And it's, it's right in line with what, what fans are starting to expect and what artists are starting to wrap their heads around and be cool with. And, and really what's just, what's being shaped by the, the newest, coolest 
mm-hmm, youngest mm-hmm. artists that are coming up. So I'm super, super excited to see that growth too and, and see where that goes, man. Um, you know, and, and a lot of what I talk about is personal branding and I'm of the mindset and the perception. If you really want to be friends or have an interaction with that person, build yourself up to where you're in the same room with them, similar to you being in New York City, being around all those Fortune 500 executives, just fitting in, having that, that mindset shift of like, hey, I belong here. They're here. They're normal. I'm normal. I can be here too. And um, that right there, I, Matt, I know that you have to get running here in a couple of minutes, but I would love for you yeah, to we, talk we, very- we go over a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Because there's this one question I think would be very, very important to a lot of people. I was actually on a phone call with somebody yesterday and he's a copywriter who's also studying neuroscience and he's very you know, big into that. And he's like, how can I leverage my personal brand to land an opportunity? And then even then, how do I get the opportunity afterwards? So I'm curious to see how did you first get into touch with Cameo and, you know, get onto the team because it was before Cameo really blew up. It was back in 2018. If um, what I was seeing yeah. is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it really does come back around to personal brand and the way I would describe it. I mean, practically what happens to me is um, look, if, if I know anything and yeah, you know, I, I went to a good school. I studied graphic design. I worked at Playboy for a minute. I built websites for a minute. Like I had certain, you know, skill sets. I could, I, um, you know, had a degree in filmmaking and, and other, I, I felt like I had skill sets, but um, really if there's one thing that, that I understood, I think probably as well as anyone out there is, is, is that relationship between my fan and me. And, uh, and I know what matters to a fan. I'm a fan myself. And, um, you know, I know how little it takes to, to earn that lifelong dedication from someone. And I know how little it takes to destroy that, that trust too. And so, um, so that became kind of my personal brand so that, um, I was, asked to join a, a team that was doing some other, uh, you know, startup out of Finland. And I spent some time in Helsinki. Um, that was a little bit, I think, early, too early, but um, there's a point where there's a, there's a New York Times article about Cameo and my buddy Marvin hit me up and said, dude, isn't this exactly what you've been talking about for the last two years? So it came at, and also though, when I saw it, I also jumped on it and, and I bought I just bought into it so early and so hard. There were only about 10 of us working there at the time when I came oh, Wow! in music. The only talent that we had at that time was like Rebecca Black and Riff Raff and I think Tommy Lee and Soldier Boy when he wasn't yeah. in jail. And, <laughs> um, but but I, I, think- I saw the vision. I, 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 really, I really saw the vision. And so how it happened, just if it would be useful to anyone, you know, your, your listeners, it, it was a commitment to my own under I guess really getting in tune with what matters to you and and uh and then what happens is like the universe kind of bends a little bit around you and and I think we all notice that in other people like I can't tell you you know I've a, I've a nephew who's who wants to become a pilot right uh he didn't say like oh I kind of want to do 20 things you know it's like no he's like all I want to do is be a pilot well I and everyone around him just naturally kind of 
bend to to him and to support him in that because we like that because i i think i think dream chasing is fun to just be around absolutely and, you know and, but That's you've awesome. got to tell us what the dream is or we can't help you you know so um so i thankfully got to a point where i was i guess able to telegraph what my own dream was and that is like i want to help artists i, I really want to rescue artists i want i want to give artists chances that i never had and and that was the minute i the minute i really checked in and, and and really aligned with whatever that higher purpose is for myself is the minute that opportunities to flex that started to appear. So, th so that, that would be just like my nephew, who's going to become a pilot, you know, I would, I would, I would invite your listeners who, who maybe if that's a challenge to them to start at the, the real foundation like that. And if you do, then it's, it's not all the noise around it seems complicated, but it, but it isn't like we want your success. Like if you're, if you're doing something that's great and cool and makes the world a better place and it's not just for your own selfish mm -hmm. needs, man, bring it like, how can I help, you know? And that's, and that's, um, you know, that's what, that's what led me here. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank there's same there's, thing when I, when I, when I have a chance to step up and, roll out the red carpet for a specific artist or maybe uh back in the day when i was looking what's the criteria that, for an artist that i'm willing to to represent hmm. a lot of that is it's a, it's a similar thing like um who wants it more and who's clearer on what they want um and why they want it that's it just makes everyone's lives smoother right yeah and it, it all aligns man that is crazy man this has been Honestly, the, the most, most enjoyable conversation I've had in, in a long, long time, man. Like, this was really great. Um, Matt, thank you for, you know, coming on and, and taking your time. And, and I got to ask, what's next? What's next for Matt? And what's next for Cameo? Well, thanks thanks for saying all that. I feel like I was just rambling. I hope you can chop out some of the standards. No, nah, I'm, I'm not chopping up anything. It's, it's raw <laughs> and unfiltered, baby. Raw and unfiltered. Uh, what, what's next for me is, you know, I'm really proud of where we are with, you know, there's like I said, when I started Cameo, there were 10 of us. Now there's 250 of us. Uh, when, I, when I started, there were about a thousand talent. Now there's 45,000 talent. Um, so what's next for me is just to continue to help, just, just help manifest the, what, what we all here is set out to, to build. Like we, uh, we want to like the music team, for example, here, like the, what, what is Cameo's role in the conversation of music, uh, you know? And I think we have a really big opinion there. And I think we have a really justifiably um, significant uh, voice in that conversation now. And, and it's only going to get bigger. So what's, what's next for me is to, um, I, I want to empower artists to to have massive successes and wins in their in their own lanes, and and I want to I want Cameo to be recognized as it is as it is becoming so, um, just a really valuable partner in their journeys. You know, I mean, I would I guess a a real moonshot for me would be next year at the Grammys, some artist like shouts out Cameo. 
for that would for, be for our role in like helping to promote the record for for giving them uh, a, a team to you know allow them to go outside of the old system and um, you know go their own way and carve their own lane and independently minded just just like achieve their achieve their own destinies so and i think that'll happen honestly honestly going back you know you mentioned and, and touched on the law of attraction a couple of times universe aligning and all you know basically clarifying what you want your purpose and your destination and making that decision to go all in there you know things around you and people around you will oftentimes respect that man and i couldn't think of a better example um, of a business or anybody to bring on to talk about personal branding because Cameo is literally built around the concept of personal brand. And that right there is, is a great example of, of why that's super important, even not even on a massive scale, but just a small scale of, of building up your reputation, establishing those high quality connections and relationships with other people and seeing what you can do to provide value. There's nothing that gets me off more than seeing another person win. And that's part of the reason why I expanded the team for Ashton Ventures, because I'm like, man, if I could bring other people on board, I could have a lot more fun doing this versus being a lone wolf. And it's all about people. <laughs> well, and, and you know, credit to you, you're, you're still one of the, you know, look, I have conversations all day long with marketing teams, labels, managers, publicists. Um, I'm shocked at how still uninformed some people are about the value that Cameo represents to their talent. Um, sometimes it's really like pulling teeth to get them to, to see it at first, um, less so these days, um, but, but to your credit, you were early on, you saw it, you leaned into it, you put your neck on the line for us, you referred talent to us. Um, all of that's, that's, that just warms my heart. And that's, um, I, I think a sign because, you know, that's, that's a sign of someone who is able to, I think, parse the real value and, and the stuff that's stuff that has legs from the stuff that doesn't. And so compliments to you on that and and yeah finally i would just say to your point about personal brands exactly and no one no one's ever put it the way you just described but you might as well instead of calling these instead of saying we have forty five thousand talent we could literally say we have forty five thousand personal brands i just completely disrupted the marketing message of cameo <laughs> no but it really is and and you know if you were to ask what is across all the verticals across athletes across youtubers artists what uh what's the secret sauce to a success on to being a success on cameo mm -hmm. um you know we have some we have some people on camera are earning uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month some some for whatever reason are, are off to slower starts uh really uh, if there's one universal i'd say it is personal brand it's like who is who owns their lane so so have your own opinions about riffraff, but there's only one riffraff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and so if his fans want riffraff, they got to go to riffraff. And, and similarly, uh, that, and, and I've, I've had even a greater appreciation for that um, each day over here, even outside of music, I, I can see like, wow, man, I, I'd kind of judged that actor when I was sitting over here as a fan. Now that I kind of understand his business and his world and his his journey and where he came from, holy, you know, this is really impressive. And I can't I can't believe that even me choosing to hate him in high school <laughs> meant that he's great at his own personal brand. Oh man, Ben Stiller, Nicholas Cage. 
being is being um, <laughs> is being ignored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, man, you know, and this is the other thing about personal branding that people get, you know, they have this misconception about, they think that people are following you for what you do. And it's, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are as an individual. I mean, you can think about Michael Jordan being, you know, arguably one of the best or the greatest basketball player of all time, but people pay attention to his work ethic, to his personality. They, they attach onto who he is and what he represents. And that's the same thing with the people who are making, I bet I could, I guarantee this actually, and I'm confident in saying this, that the people who are making the hundreds of thousands of dollars on Cameo are the ones that are the most connected with their fans and the most, I guess you could probably say controversial or per biggest personalities. And the ones who are making the least are the ones who not necessarily have the smallest numbers, but are the ones that have the least connection and the ones that are the most distant that have no point of communication with anybody. And that right there is the differentiating factor. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a really, I'll give you a really quick example that, that proves that um, and, and really illustrates that contrast. So, so we had two big artists join Cameo. Um, it's about a year ago. One of them, a little a little more hesitant, both, both with big personal brands, both household names, both prestige talent. Um, and when you get to that level, speaking of person, uh, personal brand, your team's job becomes to protect your personal brand. So they see any, 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 new, any new chance that, you know, a new platform that they see or anything that's introduced to the mix that's already crushing, by the way, you know, where if you have a machine rolling, you got you got the you got the the locomotive of, of your personal brand just rolling, and you know, money's coming in from multiple sources, and uh, you know, why take a chance on anything? You can only damage your brand. Um, so you would think, you know, but but what was really a beautiful takeaway for me um, through this through this example is that you had for all for all intents and purposes two almost identical personal brands um both were at the top of their game in a very specific lane um one was very reserved very kind of defensive um bare minimum kind of leaned out mm -hmm. uh, and and came on and set a really high price because they were worried about the optics of of what their value would be ultimately um we're asking you know it's just a lot of a lot of questions around um just just covering kind of like just circling the wagons like fortifying themselves uh make, making sure that this was as low a risk uh yeah what's it what's in it for me as can be yeah yeah how can how can we make the most money uh and how can we make the most money without damaging our personal brand? Now, the, I think that's the wrong question to ask because the, the other talent that came out around the same time with as much to lose, their questions were, how can we make the fans happier? How can, uh, what should I do? Uh, what's fun that we can do here? What's something mm. that no, one's else, no one else has done yet? Uh, hey, um, can we try can we try this? Can we try this? Can we, uh, um, you know, and, and they came with a, with a sense of sort of curiosity mm -hmm. and, 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 and wonder and heart and, and humor and, you know, zoom out today. One of those talents uh, has 
almost cleared a million dollars and had a and had a blast and has seen their business overall bump from the from the engagement that they've that they're having on Cameo. Um, and the other pretty much, you know, they they made uh, you know they earned a, a good amount in, in the first on their launch and then kind of took off and you know pulled up stakes and, and rolled out and uh, I think that's a really cool just um, it's it's a cool example of of how how those approaches are to your personal brand are important because I, I understand when it's taken you 30 years to to build something uh and there's no urgent reason to take a risk on anything i could see like i could definitely see the temptation to be to operate from a place of of fear um but it ultimately the the irony is it's not good business to to do that and i, th right. I think that's that's my that was the takeaway from that um, so, so I always try to encourage any new talent as they come on to Cameo to trust us, have fun, uh, lean into it. And mm -hmm. you know, what you get in is what you get out. Otherwise, it, it really becomes like a lot of things in life, a success or a failure on Cameo, it can be self-fulfilling either way. But it mm -hmm. starts with the, uh, with the sort of attitude and energy of, of the talent. Damn. Mic drop. Mic drop. Well, Matt, brother, thank you again for coming on. Now, where can people find you? Where can people find Cameo? And yeah. go and wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, Instagram at Matt Divine's Life. There's only one T in Matt. So it's M A T D E V I N E. So Matt Divine's Life. Um, and yeah, anyone, anyone's welcome to email me for anything Cameo related, uh, divine at cameo.com or otherwise go through you. Um, any, any artists out there that are curious to learn more about Cameo, hit me up anytime, happy to talk. Um, any, any teams out there, uh, marketing teams, managers, labels, um, publicists, anyone wants to, uh, anyone wants to learn more about what we can do for the, the artists that they represent their roster, hit me up. Um, yeah, always just excited to, to kind of spread the word and help, help make sure that everyone, you know, it takes two minutes to get artists on the cameo and, um, you know, I like to roll Literally. out the carpet. I like to step up, but we like to do whatever we can to celebrate when they come on and, and, uh, leverage the visibility that we have right now and, and our socials and our PR and marketing to really just show the love to, to our famio and, try to um, try to uh, just step up as a great partner um, in any way that we can. So create um, that culture. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to you, brother, thank you for, thanks for your enthusiasm and for, uh, for reaching out and being early and being a fan and being cool. And um, yeah, anything, anything I can ever do for you, let me know. Absolutely, brother. And I have some new people that I'm going to be introducing to the app. This goes to, to anybody listening. Um, reach out to me. I can go out and see about getting you hooked up with, with some amazing people, including Matt, and uh, getting you on, on Cameo. So let me know. And without further ado, be on the lookout for a new podcast episode every single Monday and an interview every single Friday with some really, really interesting and valuable guests. So much love. <laughs>